Acts chapter 4 is our sermon text this morning. Acts chapter 4. And as you're making your way there, I just want to say, uh, as one of your pastors, what a delight it is to see your face this morning. And even more so, uh, what a joy it is to be able to gather together in this place to worship King Jesus. It's been a joy this week to pray for you, to labor with you, and to labor for you, uh, to talk with you, to have a number of exchanges with you, to see many ways that uh, you are fighting for joy in Christ, and to be able to join with you in this fight in joy for Christ uh, in, in prayer. Some of us this morning uh, were skipping, are skipping on the way to church, just eager to be able to get here in this gathering. Uh, others may be limping through the doors, and likely there are some here uh, who, uh, perhaps against your own will, have been drug in here, and you're here. Nevertheless, God's brought us here together today so that we can hear from Him. And I want to encourage you as I read God's Word today, as I serve as our voice in reading this sermon text, to worship with me in the hearing and listening of God's Word. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23 through 31. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word and let's join our hearts together and ask for His help. God, we do thank You that You've given us once again this opportunity. And we beg of Your help. Open our eyes to see in our heart to believe 
wonderful things that you say about yourself from your word. And we pray that as your word sounds forth today, that it would come, not just in word only, but with full conviction and with the Holy Spirit. Make us people who joyfully submit and obey all of your commands. We ask this for your glory and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Stop speaking the name of Christ. Stop teaching the people about this person of Jesus Christ. What do you do with such a command? If that's what the religious leaders of the day are saying to you, and this is the report that you take back to this young congregation, what do you do with such a command? Stop speaking the name of Jesus Christ. Let me give a little bit of context for this question or this statement. In chapter 4, verse 2, the chief priests and elders were greatly disturbed because these apostles were teaching and preaching about Jesus and about the resurrection. They asked the question, what authority or what name are you basing this teaching upon? Peter, perhaps, inwardly saying, I'm glad you asked this question. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak to them. He says to them, if we are on trial because of what we have done to a sick man, remember, they healed this lame man. If we are on trial for what we have done to him or done for him, which really is a question that everybody in the audience knew the answer to, the issue wasn't the healing. The issue, as our text makes clear, is Jesus. To them, Jesus is the problem. From God to them and also to us, this is what was said in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus was the problem, but from God to them and now to us, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved than the name Jesus Christ. So Peter says, if this is why we're on trial, let's, let's let it be known. Let's, let's make it crystal clear to all the people and all of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. He, Christ, He is the stone, the cornerstone that you are rejecting. And under heaven there's no salvation and there's no other name than Jesus Christ. This is clearly a bold opportunity where the Holy Spirit guides Peter on what to say. Again, the issue is not the healing. The problem is not Jesus Himself. The problem is they are rejecting the only one who can save their soul. So remember and register this bold encounter in your mind now because it's one of the supplications that's made later on for God to grant them all boldness to speak the word of God. So this command that I led today's sermon from is from the Sanhedrin, and it was crystal clear. There was no way to misinterpret this. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. So Peter, John, and this community of faith, 
They were not put into this situation without prior instruction and help. So none of them are in the moment saying, we have no idea what to do here. We have nowhere to turn. We're not sure how we ought to think and how to respond. So they, they were not left in this situation. In fact, Mark chapter 13, Peter and John, along with James, are sitting with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, Olives next to the temple. They begin to ask Jesus several questions. And this is just a sampling of what Jesus told them in Mark 13. Be on your guard. For they will deliver you to the courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake. This is Jesus saying it to Peter, James, and John. Peter and John are here in Acts 4. You're going to stand before them for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. When they arrest, when they arrest you, it's not a uh, question of this might happen or things don't go according to plan. When they arrest you and they hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. Thankfully, the verse doesn't stop right there. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So that's one instance beforehand that prepares them for this situation. John 16, Jesus tells his 11 disciples, Judas has already betrayed him, that he said, I say these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus tells the 70 that he is sending out in Luke chapter 10 that he is sending them out as lambs in the midst of wolves. In John 16, listen to what Jesus tells his disciples about the Holy Spirit. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see Me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. So we see the evidence in verse 8, verse 25, and verse 31 of chapter 4 of the presence and the filling of the Holy Spirit, all of which preceded this encounter. So persecution was present, more persecution imminent, and God had prepared them according to His Word. So the outline of uh, today's sermon is of the church's prayer to God for boldness, to speak the Word of God, 
in the midst of persecution. So we're going to consider who he is, what he has said, and because he hears. So lifting their voice to God, we see this in verse 23 and 24, they appealed to God for confidence to speak the word. But before we look at this outline, let's understand the audience. It's the church. It's a young church, I might add. Verse 23 tells us that after Peter and John and they had, uh, the, the man that they had healed was now coming alongside them. So after the three of them were released, they went to their companions, which is a reference to the church. The church was already aware that they had been arrested. They were with them. They were listening to them preach when they were arrested and held in jail overnight. We see this in the very beginning of Acts chapter 4. The church was praying and therefore, they were eager to hear of the report. So sometimes we read in about an event in Scripture, and it's hard to understand how much time has lapsed um, in the event. But here, we're not left to wonder. Verse 23, they come back with a report. Verse 24, when they hear the report, they lift their voices to God in one accord. As a community, they prayed together. This was corporate prayer where one person made the prayer on behalf of the entire fellowship. This is a picture of corporate prayer when the community of faith are in agreement with the supplication being made to God. So one voice was praying, all the fellowship in agreement with this voice in this request to their father. So in our own prayer gathering, agreement is being made by, the, by those who are listening to the one voice that's making supplication on behalf of the entire congregation. So sometimes we hear expressions of the uh, agreement. Sometimes someone will, in listening to the prayer that's being offered for the church, might give their amen. Or two of my personal favorites when the Halls were with us. Chris Hall particularly was helped by prayer. You'd hear the, mm. you'd hear the, you'd hear the grunt. Or some of those days when our sweet sister, um, Irma Jean, would break out the clapper, thanking God for what is being prayed. Other times it's more subtle. As a congregation, we're not aware of what's going on in the individual member's heart. And sometimes it's been a particular joy in leading some of these prayer meetings to see some saints just pouring out with tears, knowing that a lot's going on in their life, knowing that they would love to be able to voice a prayer and perhaps can't in that moment emotionally to hear somebody else pray a prayer on their behalf that they can join in with and give their amen. Corporate prayer is not primarily for the individual. This church was in one accord. They were in agreement with the supplication being made to God. So we can be an active participant in corporate prayer even when we are not the voice that's making the prayer on behalf of the congregation but we still want to hear your voice. So let's consider this outline. Prayer for boldness in speaking the word of God. 
This is based on, first of all, who God is. He's sovereign. Verse 24, O Lord, they lifted their voice to God. They knew immediately who they were to turn to. Perhaps the clearest sign of the awareness of our own weakness is to immediately turn Godward. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on biblical lament, and I mentioned the difference between complaint and lament. Lament is when you take this complaint and you turn it to God. You give it to God in trust. If you don't give it to God in trust, then it remains a complaint, and it's not biblical. It must be Godward. This is, this is important here. I want you to hear this. Having a community that's suffering together is not enough. Consider the context. They were gathered together, received the report of what had just transpired. Just having that group of people that could fellowship together in this suffering, in this, that was not enough. That was not sufficient. They had to turn to God. And this is exactly what they did. How does a young church in the throes of persecution pray? What do they say in moments such as these? This prayer is formative because it marks the beginning of the church's persecution. This is perhaps our first look into how the church receives and responds to persecution. You recall in John chapter 6, some of these same disciples who were uh, with Jesus and they were listening to the difficult teaching and they saw some of those uh, followers leave when Jesus turns to him and says, do you want to leave as well? Peter in this moment said, where else will we go? For you have words of eternal life. Here, this young church did all that they knew to do. They turned to God based on who He is, they turn to God based on what He has said. Listen to their prayer. Oh Lord, it is You who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Each of these phrases are quotations from Exodus chapter 20, Nehemiah chapter 9, and Psalm chapter 146. There may not be a direct command to memorize Scripture in the Bible, but chapter 4 that we're considering here illustrates that you're not going to be able to recall Scripture for prayer in moments such as these if you are not meditating and memorizing God's Word. Daryl Bach in his commentary says, it is God's creation. It is God's creation. And so, God's Lordship is the highest court of appeal. God is sovereign. He is creator. If you don't begin with God's sovereignty, his character, his nature, what he is like, then what we will do is we will inevitably make a beeline to our circumstance. Details of our circumstance will orient around us. And so I want to give us two handles that I hope that will be uh, helpful. One of them is this. Praying to God orients us when persecution tempts to paralyze us in our own weakness. Let me say that again. Praying to God orients us 
when persecution tempts us or tempts to paralyze us in our own weakness. Here are some of the questions that may be surfacing in the heart. What's happening right now? Where do I go? What do I do? How long is this going to last? Is God even aware? Is God going to act? Why is this happening to me? So praying to God orients us when persecution tempts to paralyze us in our own weakness. The other handle is this. Praying to God situates our suffering in God's sovereign rule. Praying to God situates our suffering in God's sovereign rule. How do I respond to this suffering since I know God can be trusted? What does it look like for me to go to God as my rock, my refuge, my stronghold, my present help in the day of trouble? I can trust Him because He is a present help in trouble. God is active. God is on the scene. They knew this. They knew this because they immediately went to God in faith-filled, Scripture-saturated prayer. So praying to God situates our suffering in God's sovereign rule. They could pray because they were aware that God is sovereign and that He had told them they would suffer and they knew that He had sent His Son who would suffer, who would be acquainted with grief and would be able as their high priest to be able to sympathize with all of their weaknesses and temptation and suffering. They knew what they had to do with this report. They knew how to respond to this report. And together, they prayed. This might be a good moment to briefly touch on why it is that we mandate 30 minutes of prayer in our small groups. Word, care, prayer. And that's so that we will make sure to give time to seeking the face of the Lord in Scripture-saturated prayer. Every person in here is in agreement that we should pray. I've never met a Christian, never met a genuine follower of Jesus Christ who has not said, yes, it is biblical to pray. I'm not sure I've ever met a Christian either who has said, I think I'm pretty good in the prayer department. I think that's one of the areas I can check off my uh, list and is something that I'm doing well in. We all wrestle around with that, temp- that, that tension. We have an uh, accountability form that we fill out in each of our elder meetings. We'll have one later on today. We'll fill this form out again. One of the questions in there is to assess your prayer life. There's a yes box and a no box. I always mark it right there in the middle. Like, how do you know? How can you sufficiently assess your prayer life? But we mandate these 30-minute prayer times because we want to grow in our ability not to just talk about the things that are going on in our life, but to actually respond to God concerning the content of our life. 
Each of us are going to demonstrate the necessity of prayer in the way that we pray. Care that is biblical is always going to involve prayer. And we should pray. And we should pray in those moments. And we should be mindful of the gap in, in reporting and praying. Verse 23, they reported. Verse 24, they prayed. We ought to be mindful of the very gaps in our own life when it comes to talking about the things that are in our life to, ne to the neglect of actually seeking the face of the Lord concerning those very matters. So let us not talk only. Let's seek the Lord in Scripture-guided ways. In matters that you share with others, this is, a, this is a sincere question. Are you seeking the Lord in prayer about those very matters? Really? Are you intentionally, or are we, let me, let me personalize it, are we intentionally taking the content in our life and giving it to the Lord in prayer? This is not where we conform God to our preferences, but where we are conformed to the likeness of Christ and therefore molded into His will. Agreeing with God concerning His will, praying to God concerning His will, has far more at stake than a decision in life. It's being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And prayer is one of God's means of grace to conform us to the likeness of Christ. It gets us to where we are, uh, our prayers according to Scripture assure us that what we pray is in accord with God's will and helps us to be in agreement with whatever His hand and His predestined purpose brings. We feel our weakness simply because we're weak people. When we admit that we are weak, we are acknowledging that we need outside help. When we pray, and this is important for us to get this, when we pray, or yeah, when we pray, it's important for us to get this, it's only when we pray that we connect our weakness with God's strength. Listen to how the Apostle Paul picks this theme up in Colossians 1. Being strengthened with all power. Is that his own? Is that in another group of like-minded people? Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. It's in Him. It's in Him uh, that we have redemption, the very forgiveness of our sins. David Peterson said concerning these phrases that such belief in the sovereignty of God is an incentive for bold petition. So that's, on, that's based on who God is. Secondly, it's based on what God has said. I want to read again verses 25 through 28. Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our Father, excuse me, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our Father David, your servant said, Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your Holy Spirit, servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do 
whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So this scriptural quotation in these verses is found in Psalm chapter 2. David is regarded as the human author of this psalm, but it is the Word of God spoken by the Holy Spirit through David. David merely is a human instrument. This young church went to God and based their prayer for boldness in speaking the Word because of what God had already said in this Old Testament psalm. So let me set this up for us with a question and a statement on vanity. The question is this. Why did the Gentiles rage and why did the people devise futile things? That's the question. The statement, on va- uh, statement of vanity. The kings of earth have taken their stand and the rulers are gathered together against... Wait for it. The Lord and His anointed. The anointed one, Jesus. Gentiles and Jews alike were angry and upset at what was happening in their city. Plot after plot was devised and employed in opposition to God and to His anointed Jesus. When threats and beatings didn't work, they killed Him. They did not understand that when He rose again, it would be to inaugurate the spread of the gospel through the churches. More persecution didn't snuff out the gospel or the church as though it were a smoldering wick. Instead, the gospel spread, churches were started, and they were also persecuted in the midst of clear plans to stop the gospel. Further, this young church made the connection that these attacks were not just personal. They weren't just singling this group of people out. Rather, the attacks were against Jesus. These attacks... Old Testament, New Testament. These attacks were against the Lord and His anointed one. They were against Christ. Psalm 2-7, the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. This is a direct reference to Christ. Peter makes this Psalm 2 connection with Christ by saying, Exalted to God's right hand by the resurrection and ascension, Jesus will bring the nations to serve the Lord with fear. This young church knew from Psalm chapter 2 that Jesus was God's anointed, and their words in verses 27 and 28 made the very connection that they knew that they were sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Again, though, awareness of this suffering alone is not enough. Just being aware of suffering, being aware of persecution is not enough. We still need boldness to speak His Word in the midst of such opposition and oppression. I do find a bit of a spiritual moxie in this quote of Scripture because of the irony of the raging and the war that people have against God. Why do you rage against God when it's futile? Why be antagonistic when all you're doing, when all you are doing is whatever His hand and His purpose has predestined to occur? You want the definition of foolishness? You want the definition of vanity? You want the definition of what's futile? Look right here. So let me very clearly and lovingly say, do not Find yourselves 
against the Lord. Do not find yourselves against Him in opposition to His Christ. This young flock is gathering encouragement and strength from God as they recount to one another what God has already said in His Word. Because none of what was happening was a surprise to God, followers of Jesus Christ should not be surprised when we face persecution for allegiance to Christ. The triune God in redemption, God planned it. Christ accomplished the Spirit sealed. This is why we should not be surprised because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's coming. There's a number of scriptures, just one more. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 and 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Don't be surprised as though something strange, excuse me, don't be surprised as though some strange thing were happening to you. He'd been telling them about sufferings. He'd been reminding them of the sufferings of Christ. And he's saying, when it happens to you, don't be surprised by that. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also, at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you were reviled for the name of Christ, are you seeing all these connections here? You are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So it's a privilege to suffer for the sake and name of Jesus Christ. To share in His sufferings. So I don't believe that this young church was surprised at the persecution that they were experiencing. Certainly, Peter and John were not. As they were recalling through the Holy Spirit. As He was disclosing the things that Jesus was saying to them when He was with them. That they fully didn't comprehend, but now they know. The sovereign God remains in control. Don't be surprised at persecution. The sovereign God remains in control. You recall what Pilate said to Jesus. Don't you know that I have authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been handed you from above. Our text today draws out the dangerously subtle difference on the importance of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. They're not the same. Is the Bible important? Absolutely, yes. But if the Bible is only important, then you will only access the Bible so long as it is useful to you or when it is convenient for you. However, when Scripture is seen as sufficient, then the Word of God 
becomes the filter through which we understand and engage everything. The Bible is important when it's convenient. But when you understand that Scripture is sufficient, you have no other primary source through which to filter everything. Agreement with God's will is more about aligning our hearts in worship to Him, in worship to him and submitting to His authoritative rule in our life that comes from the instruction of His Word and the understanding and enabling of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So let me state it in this way. God is aligning your heart with Him. He is renewing your mind through His Word. He is ordaining your steps according to His Word. And He is supplying His Word so that we can use His Word to communicate with Him through the incarnate Son who is the perfect Word before the Father. There's a lot going on in that. It may be suffice to say in this moment, God's Word is trustworthy because God is trustworthy and because Christ is the eternal Word. In the midst of persecution, they, meaning this church, were tethered to the Word of God. Whatever emotions might have been firing off in the moment were fastened to the reliability of the Bible or the reliability of God's Word. There's no better solution for the distracted mind and prayer life than Scripture. And while we may not know all that's going on, we may not know everything that's going to happen, we can pray according to the Word, knowing that we're praying to, an, to our omniscient Father in heaven. Lastly, they base this prayer on the reality that their Father in heaven hears their petition. I think verse 29 is precious. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. The church, this church knows persecution is coming. Even if we back up to chapter 4, verse 20, the phrase, judge yourselves, or when they told the leaders, you judge whether it's right for us to listen to you or obey God, but as for us, we cannot stop speaking about the things that we've seen and heard. They know, this is an acknowledgement, that they know that this group is going to find a reason to get rid of them. They're not going to stop. And this is certainly going through this young church's mind. Otherwise, they would not be asking the Lord to take note of the threats that had been made against them. And they would not be also asking the Lord for boldness to speak the word of God when the opportunity arises. This young church was not dismissive of the threats, but they quickly turned their petition to further confidence in speaking the word of God. To whom were they going to speak the word of God? Certainly to one another. This is made evidence in, in their prayer together. But I want, you to, I want you to catch this. But also to the very ones who are presently against them because they also hate Jesus Christ. This is why they're asking for confidence to speak the word of Christ with boldness to the very people who needed to subject themselves under the lordship and reign of Jesus. To this church, persecution opened the door for the gospel. And rather than them taking offense toward what God had predetermined to happen, this church prayed for boldness in sharing the gospel. 
Consider these words of Jesus that we've heard so often, but let's do so slowly from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This was the path of Christ. Jesus in Luke 6.28 said, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. We can consider Stephen in Acts chapter 7 after he preached that wonderful Old Testament sermon that when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him, at Stephen. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as Stephen called out on the Lord and said to the Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out, Stephen did, with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Dying breath, preaching the gospel to the very people who are killing him, do not hold them, do not hold this against them. You remember the name of one of the people who was present at this stoning. This same Saul would later write a letter to the church at Colossae and say, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known among the Gentiles the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Consider again Jesus. Hebrews 7. The former priests, on the one hand, they existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. There's a whole lot of priests beforehand. None of them could keep going because they kept dying. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. So this is the great confidence this church can have knowing 
They had a Father in heaven who's listening to their petition. He has sent a Savior, the better high priest, who can save us as we draw near to Him and who lives. He is right now making intercession for us. This is a minor but important pastoral note. Why are they praying for boldness when they, there's already two examples in this chapter where they had been bold before the very ones responsible for killing Jesus? Had they not recorded this prayer, we might very well have assumed that boldness was not a need. So this is what I want to draw out from this request. We should not assume that everyone in that congregation possessed the same boldness. We shouldn't assume that everyone in the congregation possessed the same boldness. That's part of corporate prayer. Agreeing with the prayers that, we, that we're asking, yes, Lord, do that in me. Do that in us. They knew if this group has the authority to kill Jesus, they knew that they could also kill them. They'd warned us. They put us on trial. Verse 21, they said, or they had threatened them further. We don't even know what all those threats were, but they had told them to stop. This small community of faith knew they were not going to stop until they put an end to Christ and to all His followers. Every single one of them needed all boldness to speak the Word of God in the midst of coming persecution. And so together, as those joined together in Christ, they prayed for boldness. This young church knew that their only hope was in Christ, not only for eternal life, but they knew that they needed Him right there in the moment. And they knew to whom they needed to pray to, and they knew what they needed to pray. How do we know? God answered their faith-filled, Scripture-saturated prayer with the gift of the Holy Spirit. God gave them confidence through the Holy Spirit to speak about Christ. Therefore, we can pray in faith. We are praying in faith when our prayers are based on what God has revealed in His Word. So may the Lord give us confidence. May the Lord give us confidence to speak His Word clearly and boldly. Why? He's our Father in heaven. He has spoken and He hears So let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And we we see these very clear commands in the word. And we ask you to help us to be people who are praying according to your word. Make us the kind of people who are joyfully in agreement with everything that your hand and predestined purpose brings about. God, we pray that we would be the kind of people that whether it's a joy or whether it's a hardship, that we will not only make these joys and hardships known to one another, but we will make them known to you. And we pray that as a church body, you'll help us to grow. You'll help us to grow in praying about such matters immediately and praying in faith and praying prayers that are informed and guided by your word. We ask, Lord, we ask as this church did as well, Lord, that you would make us bold in speaking your word. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.